Talk about that. What, why do you feel that this is going to be the best one? Um, is it is it the show? Is it the the championship? Is it what what goes into for you? What goes into a, a high profile match, or or what goes into making a good match? Well, when I say this is the Black Wrestlers Matter is my WrestleMania, you you have it, there's a lot that has to come with that. There's a lot of there's a lot of work that has to come with that. There's a lot of preparation that goes with that and Shaq Shaq Jordan like he he's a man that 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 steps up to the plate and knocks it out the park when it's when it's time to step up under pressure like myself and you know and all eyes are on us all eyes are on on Russell League so it's just like obviously you're gonna give it all your all your all you know like even if we if we gotta kill each other out there you know what I'm saying like it's just like I feel like it's it's a lot of a lot at stake. There's a lot for people to see. You know, there's, there's there's eyes on our on the Russell League product. You know, so it's just like that. It's important. So obviously, that's gonna be the best one, but it ain't gonna be the last one. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So something might top that, but like that match ain't even happened. But like I have confidence in in that that's gonna be a banger of a match. I think we definitely grew up in the golden age of like everything's so new and we're still advancing stuff. And so like where we'd get together and play games at a friend's house, we, you know, we'd crowd around us an N64 and play golden eye, oh, you man. know, or even like, um, the link cable between two like game boys. Yep. Or, or, um, or like land parties. Like yep. Those were so much fun. Like I remember I had to have been in middle school and the pastor at my church, his family moved to Southern Missouri, like an hour outside of Branson. And so my family, of course, we went to Branson every year. We would visit them on the way down. And I remember visiting like the first like LAN arcade that I ever went to. And it was 24 individual xbox consoles and individual tvs and they were all hooked up and it was just one giant halo land party and it just completely blew me away and now like that's that's 24 different consoles all hooked up together right and that blew me away and now it's like oh anywhere in the world um a hundred people or you know less than that and then bots or whatever you want to call it can get together and and basically do the same thing with like a Fortnite or like a call of duty or whatever is just it's wild to me that, and it's so much fun. What does your past family experience, what, what is something that it has, that it has pushed you to promote in your family life or as, as a, as a parent, as a father for. We'll start with you and then go around the table and we'll end and you can answer your own question. I don't even know how to start that. Everything. Yeah. I, literally everything I, I the way my family had ruined they ruined alcohol they ruined drugs they ruined good times they ruined everything with with how they abused them and how they translated that into my life as a child mm-hmm. I was so afraid that I if I took one drink of alcohol, 
that I was I was fucked. I, that was going to be the rest of my life. I would end up like my father. I would end up a shitty husband, mm-hmm. a shitty dad. I, I mean, it, it, when you're raised in a in a family life where it's constant chaos, any little thing can put the fear of God into you. Like, oh no, they're yelling. That, well, this is it. This is I'm gonna have to call the cops on my dad. Uh, they're they're arguing. Well, dad's gonna be gone the rest of the night, and mom's gonna try to OD on sleeping pills. I mean, I I saw so much as a child that I shouldn't have had to see. Yeah. And and I think that everything that I saw, I made a promise to myself. I was never going to put my children through that. Absolutely. I do not. I'm not perfect by any means. Oh, yeah, no. I can lose my temper sometimes with my 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 children, mm-hmm. but I would never say the things that I've seen my parents say to each other, mm-hmm. to my wife, or to my kids. Think of like the shittiest gas station, and then like multiply that by three. It's awful, in my opinion. I would I would go with, with like a quick star or a quick trip or yeah. you know or uh, obviously a quick yeah, star. Are you kidding so, me? Quick that thing's like shit. oh my god, the come and go. High fast and come, fresh. Come and go was what I was thinking go. of. First of all, you don't besmirch the good name of come and go. <laughs> it's from it's from Des Moines. So. It doesn't uh, matter. Yeah. You've but been in one. I know. Um, I worked at one for a short time. The walls yeah, you're are welcome. sweating for yeah. no reason. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they really do be like that. But think of, <laughs> but think of the shittiest gas station you know, right? And then I, uh, when we asked, I was like, "Well, how do you? How did you find this magician?" I'm thinking yeah. like, I'm thinking like, you know, like if you have a friend or whatever. She's like, "I'm gonna make the get and go," and I was like, oh, we're, oh, no. "We're so fucked." <laughs> Oh, and this is in our home. Get and go. The Facebook of public interaction. The thing is, really the is. thing is, uh, really so, so our like apartment that. was right across the street from that get and go where my mom worked, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's another uh, a completely separate complex, completely uh, you know different set of apartments behind that get and go. That's where he lived, and apparently, Don't get no no. <laughs> apparently, uh, that like that whole place was just fucking trash. Ma'am, do you want to see a it magic bag? <laughs> I'm a professional. I open for David Blaine. So coincidentally <laughs> enough, to just kind of cap it off, um, when I was doing guard duty at, at the Drake Come and Go, I had to arrest him. Um, no, he fucking showed up on a fucking bicycle late at night, and this is like one in the morning or <laughs> He's something got a bicycle. like that. He's like. Hey, uh, are, are you are you Trevor? Are you are you Sandy's kid? I'm like, oh fuck! On a first name basis now, huh? <laughs> the coat clown is here. <laughs> we were born in the '60s, and the '60s generation was peace, love, dove, and a little bit of everything else. It's a little bit of everything else that we partook in that made our generation its generation. I remember going at 14 going into my girlfriend's house. She wasn't home, and her brother invited me upstairs, and he's got the room painted black with all of these dots all over, and he turned on this purple light, and it just made me think I was in outer space. And he asked me if I smoked, and I thought he meant cigarettes, and he didn't. 
(laughs) (laughs) I went in there listening to Donnie and Marie and singing uh, and Michael Jackson saying, Ben, the two of us will walk no more. I came out listening to I am Iron Man. <laughs> and Jethro Tull, thick as a brick. And from that point forward, screw Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> so I had an interesting interaction at work where uh, a girl a, a girl came up to me, approached me, a skinny blonde girl. Short. Oh, I know that girl. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. Uh, I've never seen her before, so I don't think so. <laughs> no, um, so so the skinny blonde girl, short shorts, a uh, floral print top. Definitely know came her. up to me. Yeah, right. I know. know now that I talk about, it, yeah, yeah. No, um, she comes up to me and goes, "Hey." Are you gonna kick me out if I get up on the speakers and dance? And being that you've been there, you mm-hmm. you you know what she's talking yeah. about. This is, the speakers this up. This is a platform. Yeah, yeah. Nine and three quarters. So <laughs> she asked she asked me that, and then um. How the fuck do you guys not do a drink special there? Oh oh, I got nine forty five p.m. I got something for you. I got it's something nine for and three quarters. Yep. Hold on. So um, she comes up to me. She approaches me and goes. Are you going to kick me out if I get up on the speakers and dance? People have done it before. It's whatever. I was like, look, I'm not going to kick you out. Like, here's I'm, the thing. I wasn't going to, but since you asked nicely, <laughs> yes. I'm, yes, I'm I will not, be you I'm out. not, well, well, I'm not going to kick you out. <laughs> Don't get ahead But of me. I'm going to get you down. Uh, she goes, okay. So I'm going, I'm walking around because it's, it's slow enough. I got nothing to do. I'm clearing out drinks for the bartenders. That way they don't have to walk out. So... As soon as I take some glasses up to the bar, I turn around and there she is on the fucking speaker. And she, like, you know, she just asked, are you going to pull me down if, you know, like, yeah. (laughs) So I go, I go up to her and she's, she's sitting there like, yeah, this is a great time of my life. And I just stand there and that, that's how I handle things. I just stand there and they're like, oh shit. So, she stands there. She sees me. I'm gonna get this a little bit closer to you. Careful. I'm trying not to touch Titty. Well, no, I was concerned about it falling off. It'll be fine. Um. So I'm talking to, uh, or I stand there and I wait for her. She gets down, and she goes, "Well, I thought you were gonna pull me down." Oh, like, she wanted to be pulled uh, down. Right. So I sat there and I was like, no, I'm I'm a bit nicer than that. She's like, well, what if I wanted you to pull me down? I'm like, she's got a security guard kink. Hey, I'm all for it. But no, uh, I feel like uh, security guarding drunk people is a lot like me trying to discipline my four-year-old. I was going like, to hey, say taking care of kids. What the fuck did I just tell you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> It is. It is. Um, Which uh, around my in-laws this weekend, my future in-laws, became, hey, um, what did we just talk about? <laughs> but in my head, it was, what the fuck did I just say? <laughs> yeah. 
It was yeah. it was it was a gentle parenting weekend. The pandemic rolls around, OnlyFans blows the fuck up. Mm-hmm. And it seems like more and more OnlyFans models are are not given that advice. And it seems like a lot of girls have like link in my bio and it's their personal Facebook page or it's their personal Instagram. Instagram and they're Twitter. not they're not keeping that level of anonymity that you have. For example, like so your camming site that you're on, mm-hmm. you have IP addresses from the state of Iowa blocked. Yep. In for your safety. Also have families uh yeah. addresses blocked in different states. <laughs> right. So you're keeping this level of anonymity to yourself and 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 the sex work that you do. What are your thoughts on just everyday people making money, kind of just bearing it all out there and not keeping that level of anonymity and and like letting the walls down and, and not being do you do you have concerns about that that they're not oh, being safe? Or? Oh yeah, no, I do. I have seen girls with their like real names on there, and I'm like, what are you doing? Because oh, honey, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's that. Um, the first time I saw it, I I did that. I was like, oh no, this is really bad. Uh, oh baby, cause... what is you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Exactly. Uh, it's just guys can get weird. They can get stalkerish. They can look for you. Um, my campsite, they stopped doing, uh, stopped allowing like meetups and stuff because that's really fucking unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of these girls will, will do like meetups and stuff. And I'm like, are you, you don't know who you are talking to. Like you might think, you know, but you do not know. And, uh, these, these guys or, or women who, uh, are paying for your services, uh, they can get really fucking creepy. <laughs> They can think that they know you or they own you. But she's she's on her own. And it's like, hey, now you get an opportunity to like you're Have a good, stable life. Yeah, like you're you're safe. Like your family's got your back. Like you're good. So she starts dating this guy. I've never met him and I never got a chance to meet him because he's dead now. And uh <laughs> Um So I never got a chance to to meet him, but he seemed like an okay guy. And um and then I'm thinking like, hey, my mom is gonna grieve and she and it's it really sucks. It really sucks for her, but like she's gonna grow from this. Like Hey, this guy that I was really, you know, I really had feelings for, like this was different and he passed away and I'm going to grieve from this and I'm going to grow and maybe it'll teach me like not to jump into relationships so quickly. And then nine days later, it's like I'm posting about my new boyfriend. The exact opposite. And for. Yeah. And it's like, okay. So then you get to that point. And I think a lot of this, like the reason that I acted the way that I did in the messages about the wedding was like, I had. I had already been stewing on it because it's like, what the fuck? She is just doing? never going to change. Yeah. Like, you can. And I talked to my grandmother about this and my uncles. And it's just like, it's that. It's that sort of like, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink kind of thing. It's like, we can all, like, we can all help you, but you got to fucking, you got to want to help yourself. And she, she doesn't. 
There was one instance where I had to go deal with the situation because uh, some guy, uh, his name was Dawson. It was Austin or Dawson, but we just call him Dawson. And uh, he was <laughs> on a cruise with his family. And he was 25 years old, and oh, he decided yes. to take our excursion alone. He wanted to do something different from his family. So oh. uh, so he had this wonderful, wonderful idea, you know, because I work out in the legit, like, middle of nowhere. Like, so he decided that he wanted to take a, some acid and come out on the tour. Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, no. Oh, yes. So I was doing, it was the first time I'd done the ATV tour, like, in so long, because I was like, oh, I'm putting this off. I hate the ATV tour. God. I hate that tour, but uh, so What's, I was. What, what do you hate about it? Oh, we'll, I'll I'll talk about that. Later. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna take a minute. <laughs> Let's just stick to Dawson for the moment. Yeah, yeah. So um, he, yeah. He, he had a bad trip, man. That's all I can say. So, <laughs> and we had our four shortest people on the tour, and like not the biggest of people either. So they had to deal with him, and basically he started freaking out. He was like. I guess he got on the phone with his mom and was telling her that like all my employees were going to kill him and like <laughs> he was freaking out like oh, no. uh, so basically like I missed a lot of this but I just heard stories but he was like jumping into the canoes loaded with people while they were all trying to like run away from him but he was like freaking out so he'd like jump on top of people and whatnot oh I guess God. had to like put him in a chokehold and throw him down on the ground and like multiple times people were sloshing wet in the glacier water like my god it was quite the mess so they're trying to get me on the radio and I can't hear it a lot because I'm they're out on the delta they're out by the lake and I'm through the trees so finally I get up to our little glacier overlook on the ATV tour and I finally start getting radio calls and they're like, Zach, we need your help like right now. And I'm like, what's going on? They're like, we can't get this guy in the canoe. And I'm like, well, <laughs> sorry, you got to figure out yourself. Like, <laughs> I'm working. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know the severity of the situation at the time. So, but I started driving down. I was like, well, okay, it's big enough. So I just, I had another guide with me working. I'm like, all right, you're in charge. I'm going to go handle the situation out there. So I took a canoe and went up the river by myself and was looking in. And then that's when I found this big old mess. People were terrified. Uh, people were soaking wet from him, like, sloshing around and doing stuff. And basically, so I just tried to talk to him. And he was high as a kite. Couldn't really, like, fathom anything. <laughs> oh, he tried He tried to piss a couple times. He's like, I got to pee. So he's, like, like in the process of getting his dick out. <laughs> and, like, I was like, no, you're not going to do that right here. And he's like, okay, man, okay. Bad man. <laughs> yeah. So, um, like, I tried really as much as I could to, like, not get my hands on him. And then I just, like, let the other guests, like, <laughs> wrestle with him when he was getting out of line again. So, eventually, it was, like, getting late. And, um, like, the boat it, the boat was, like, supposed to be leaving here soon. And we still had people, like, way out on the lake. So, I, uh, everyone kind of snuck out. We, like, just moved them further up the lake and got them loaded up and left. Then, um... Yeah, so eventually it was me, that guy, his wife, and another guide of mine. So it's talking to him, talking to him, talking to him. Um, eventually I was like, well, I'm fucking tired of trying to like wait around and get you in this goddamn thing. I'm going to put you in it myself. So I'm like, you're going to get in that fucking canoe right now, or I'm going to put you in it. And he's like, and just all high and like, not, you know, <laughs> sense. So I grabbed him, pick him up, and throw him into the canoe. <laughs> like, he like folds in it, and the other guy like wrestles and like guts him down. So. We uh we got him in, we got him up, we got him. Uh, we had brought an ATV down. We buckled him up in it along with the other guy, and we drove up the hill. We got the other guy out so he could be with his wife, and 
we he had to we had to like he tried to jump out and buckle himself so we, like three of us grab manhandled him put him in strapped him all in <laughs> and then um we buckled him in and i was driving him down i was flying fast and i was trying to get on the radio with one of the uh one of the captains because he was a bodyguard so i was like yo richard i need your help now <laughs> and uh we got to the beach and i pull up and i'm swinging on i'm like yo richard i need this guy i need you I need help with this guy and he's like what guy and i look back and he had actually got himself out of the seatbelt <laughs> and out of the cage oh, he, shit. i was going like 20 30 miles an hour <laughs> this guy hops out of it eats i uh, probably eats a bunch of shit but because he saw other like the atv tours worth of people and he was like walking and talking with them so like <laughs> it was a mess it basically like oh the captain God. came out it was like what's the situation i told him he tried to talk to him i'm like it's not gonna work we've all been doing this so he's like all right i'm gonna put you in handcuffs so you need to chill out he's like what so richard eventually threw him to ground put him in cuffs then locked him on the back part of the boat <laughs> 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 and this whole time we left the life jacket on him just in case he decided to jump off the boat because we didn't think he could swim <laughs> how high he was When we met in January of 2018 for Wrestle Kingdom, you would come up and you had talked about a time when apparently she had owed people money. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell that story? Yeah, absolutely. At her first apartment, when I met her, where she had been living with her fiance. So after we were, I guess, technically dating and he had moved out, got his shit out and we were still staying there for a while until she couldn't pay anymore, which was only, I mean, a couple weeks. And so she had got fronted, I don't remember, it was like eight ball, something like that, large, large amount of math and didn't have the money for it. And the person without I'm not trying to say certain names, but <laughs> the, per, the person that she was getting it from, she'd been dealing with for a long time, mm -hmm. long, long time dealer. And they told her, they said, need the money or need something, need our money. Yeah. We're coming for our money. And they'd been blowing her up, blowing her up, blowing her up. And all she wanted to do was go to bed. So she told me, she's, let's go to bed. And it's getting late and everything. And so we go in and we go to bed. And I just, she would always take her phone and put it under her pillow. Which, you know, like, first of all, like, why, who the fuck goes to bed and puts their phone under their pillow? I mean, unless you're cheating, you're hiding. I mean, come on, you're, not, you're hiding something. I so when I was single. But, <laughs> well, if you, I mean, you know, unless you get some other reason, but so I just keep hearing her phone going off and she's got on silence, but you can hear it vibrating yeah, everything. And finally, mm, mm. She, yeah. And so finally she picks it up one other time and I can hear her friend on the other line and she's like, we're coming. We're almost there. You better have our fucking money, blah, 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 blah. So I hear it and I said, what? And so she hangs up on her and I said, what's going on? I said, you can't lie to me about this shit. What is going on right now? She's like, well, she's like, they're coming and they need the money, blah, blah, blah. I said, how much? And it was like. I was like two, 250 bucks, something like that. So it couldn't have been five minutes later, knock at her door. Boom, boom, boom. And she's like, can you go answer it? I was like, I'm not going to go fucking answer it. I ain't getting what, shot. Yeah, what am I supposed to do? Like, <laughs> not my circus, not my monkeys. I said, I'm, I'm not going to go answer it. So then we both get up and go out of the bedroom and she walks up to the people and she looks out and the light's out and it wasn't out before. Well, like I said, my brother was my brother did a lot of bad shit for a long time. I spent a long time incarcerated, and at one time I I've had to do a lot of bad shit myself and learn a lot of bad shit from him. Not like kill anybody, but anyhow, without saying too much, 
if you ever get a knock on your door and you know your fucking porch light works, if you ever get a knock on your door, especially somebody who was, you know, who's coming to collect money or anything, and all of a sudden you look at your people and your light's not working anymore, that's a good indication somebody started to do something bad to you. So I knew that as soon as she looked out there, she knew it. So she looked through the people and she goes, there's two people out there. I can't tell who it is. I just see the figures of them and they unscrewed my light. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? So then she opened up the door. She opens up the uh-huh. door, lets him in. It's the it's the girl and the guy that's with her, blah, blah, blah. And instantly, he had something in his hand. I don't know if it was like a bat or like it almost looked like a little sawed off. And so the girl and her go into the bedroom because she wants to see how much dope's left. Mm-hmm. And there's like hardly any left. And so they start flipping out. And the guy looks at me. I'm standing in the kitchen. The guy looks at me and he's like, did you do any of my dope? Blah, blah, blah. I said, I don't touch that stuff. I said, the only thing, I said, I smoke weed. I said, that's it. I said, my weed's right here. That's it. And uh, he goes, well, I'm going out to tell blah, blah, blah. The head guy who drove oh. them up there, who was out in the parking lot, I guess, in the truck. He's like, I'm going to go tell him right now. You guys don't have our fucking money. And he goes, and we're, we're either going to come back or he's coming back with us and he's going to handle this or we're coming back to get something worth value. So this dude leaves and I'm she's like, the girl comes out in the meantime, she goes out with him. And I tell, got like three minutes. It feels like, and I'm telling Nelly, I'm like, you need to figure something out. These people are coming back, possibly to fucking kill us. You have no window here that I can go jump out of or anything. And her daughter was, her, I think her, her daughter was there in her room in her own room. And so they come back and they said, well, whatever the fuck his name was he like he said if you don't have the money we want something of value so she's like well what are you going to take of value so the guy walks into her daughter's room immediately and grabs a tv like size of that tv or so is what her daughter had in there just snatches it up everything attached to it all the cords and everything he's like we're going to take this and they took i think she had a bigger tv in her living room and there was something else and they just took what the fuck they wanted and they said this will work but they said We'll be back. <laughs> we'll be back. So, you know, you 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 hit rock bottom. You build yourself back up. I know we've kind of asked the same question in, in multiple ways now, but what does the perfect scenario look like for you? Does it include the girl that you're you're with now? Um, what's the location? Um, what's the job? What is the, the the perfect scenario after you built yourself back up? What does that look like? I think the location would either the location would be somewhere southeast, so like Tennessee, Georgia area, probably like Tennessee, just because I know, you know, the people I got down there. I mean, I, I could go there; works easy and everything. Perfect scenario: she would be with me, you know, get married and everything, and have have a home. I mean, but not, not be tied down. If I had to go, I had to go. So if she decided, you know, wanted to move, move somewhere else, you know, and sell that house and move to Texas or something. I mean, I'm always going to be down with that, but just having a purpose and not being stagnant, like how it's been lately. Cause it feels like there's just been no, not a lot of life pur- purpose, like outside of my kid. I mean, she's going to be more in my life because she'll be, I, I, as long as she's in my life, that that's the main thing. I mean, I hope I'm somewhere and, and it could be Iowa too. I don't know. I mean, even around my family in Omaha, it could be Nebraska for all for all it matters. But I would like to be somewhere 
maybe a little warmer than here and, and <laughs> fucking has, I mean, they just had SummerSlam in fucking Nashville in August. It and was, it was like, I could have, I could have been down there. Like, man. I mean, staying with Austin and shit and just, you asked for warm. It was 80 fucking degrees today. It was, okay. it was, it's true. But just, just being, never having to go through the shit again, man, never having to go through a divorce or any of the bullshit again, or have to worry about your date in the meth head and she's doing it behind your back and you don't know, or like, they're cheating on you behind your back. You know, that's like, everything's good now. Like I got everything, not everything I guess that I want, but I mean, shit, you can always, always want for more, want for more. I mean, I'm not, I just want to be making money, good money, six figures doing whatever. Let me go, let me go back to the proposal. Was it, was how you were proposed to like what you had in mind for how you wanted to be proposed to? I mean, I feel like it wasn't nearly as dramatic as I was expecting it to be, but maybe that's because I was expecting it to happen because we were both just kind of like, Hey, what's up? We doing this? Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, which I mean is so on brand for us anyway. I wrote you a cute little note and it was like, I want, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. It's still in our house somewhere. I think. And then I was like, and then I couldn't, for whatever reason, um, get the words, will you marry me out? So I wish you were reading it. And then you looked at me and then you looked back at the card and then you looked at me again. And I was like, "Uh, so do you want to? And then you were like, that'd be dope. And then I replied, sick. Um, Yeah, which is the most Amy and Austin conversation of all time. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it might not have been what you, it might not have been what you always dreamed of, but it's definitely, it was the most on brand way of proposing that I could think of. All I would ask is that you do not construct your idea of BDSM on the 50 shades of gray. Movies. Oh my God. No, so please don't, please don't. Don't. I've explain that because I've, I feel like a lot of people were introduced to that the concept or people that people that haven't explored that are like, Oh, like that's a thing that people are into. And because it's like the first time that it's been explored in popular media. Can you explain from someone that has uh, experience in BDSM, why that portrayal of it is bad? There are actually other movies that have explored the content very well. One of my favorite movies, I have it saved on my Amazon prime. I have it downloaded on my Xbox uh, is secretary with um, Maggie Gyllenhaal yeah. and James Spader. Amazing movie. The Absolutely. fucking Lizard King. Amazing movie. Like, it's got that sexual tension. It's got really good BDSM aspects. It's got the the power dynamic. Like, fantastic movie. And then they came along with the Fifty Shades of Grey movie, and they sugarcoated everything. They tried to make it, like, very... Like there was a contract, which I'm not saying there's not vocal contracts between partners, but I personally have never had somebody like hand me a briefing and been like, here, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're not going to do. Um, and it was kind of a double-edged sword. They introduced the idea of BDSM, which I thought was amazing. There were a lot of people that were like, you know what? This is normal. This is what I like. I didn't know other people were into this. That's really cool. But then on the flip side, you like I was going, I went to a couple of events. This was right 
before COVID. Um, and we had people show up that were there because of the 50 shades of gray movies. And then they saw stuff that really freaked them out. And so they were like, Oh my God, this is not what Anastasia was doing with Mr. Gray. And it was just, it was God awful. When I was a Renaissance fair performer, I never really thought a whole lot about it of mm-hmm. my impact on others seeing me up there. It was just Tuesday. To it you. was, yeah, it was just a norm. <clears throat> and then, um, I mean, yeah, you get people greeting you and saying how you did a good job afterwards, mm-hmm. tipping you, whatnot. But when you have the little girl that's m- maybe four or five years old come running up to you saying your character's name and the parents or grandparents that are with them saying she has been looking for you because she remembers you from last year mm-hmm. and she oh, wanted to make awesome. sure she said it. That's and horrible. it's those impacts where you're like, wow, like I'm really having a huge difference on other girls mm-hmm. that need someone to have that that aspect to or them. like the little girl who was four or five when you first started playing the character and oh now she's gosh. coming up to you and she's going into middle school next year yeah or high school but she's been following your character and your career the entire time yep. she's just like you're my idol i love everything you do i've seen every show you've been in Oh my god! I had those too. It and is. It, it's it's crazy how those people look up to you. I'm just like, why are you looking up to me? I'm just some dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess even another person I think of that, I, like, oh man, it would be so cool to interview. Um, is oh my gosh, her name just blanked from my head. A person you I'll, know. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk tell you after mm. the show. Um, but I think like she's also had a lot of different like ups and downs in life but also from a female perspective Mm -hmm. um being on the other side of even fame if you will right uh because of who she was previously married to Mm -hmm. and kind of coming out on on another side of life um it's definitely a very different field uh feel on on both sides of of that interaction because i remember being the one who was starstruck and like oh my god it's first mate summers she's amazing Because, like, I had seen a few of your shows and was just like, oh, my fucking God, they're amazing. And when you come back, you have to, like, go past this row of cars and then into the back door of the band room. And we notice that uh, Jason Krasik's Dodge Avenger has the sunroof open. And me and all my friends simultaneously agree that we are going to fuck this car up. <laughs> so we we get toilet paper, we get fucking baby powder or flour. I think it was flour. Um when we we saran wrap the car like all the way around like from the not only around but mm-hmm. like crawling under the car and like <laughs> Good God. from the bottom, right? Um he has a bug guard or a bra mm-hmm. on his car. So I decide that the uh, the fucking piece de la resistance uh, is I'm going to stand on the hood of the car. We're going to stuff the bra with toilet paper <laughs> and then I'm going to piss down his hood. Oh my God. I hate you. <laughs> God damn it, dude. He's a terrible person. <laughs> oh my God. So, uh, and, all, and all of this, like it was like, it was toilet paper and it was flour and all of this, right? Mm-hmm. 
So like <laughs> the toilet paper and the flour, once I piss on it, it like combines mm-hmm. into this fucking like paste. glob, like paste. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you made paper mache with yes. your own piss. Yes. <laughs> Oh exactly. God! You paper mache this fucking car. <laughs> I created a new element. Oh my God! <laughs> so, You're an alchemist now. Ultimate power. You know we what? pissing on who? Maybe I would. Maybe I would be good at D and D. Fuck yeah! So, so we go inside, and I have flour on my hands apparently, which I didn't realize, and. <laughs> I start dancing with, um, I can't think of her maiden name, but she's Melanie Davis now. And, uh, who was a friend of Bree's. That was my other revenge. I was like, I'm going to fucking take your, like your best friend to pro or to homecoming. So I dance with Melanie and I get flower all over her black dress. <laughs> yup. Okay? Yep. So this happens on a Saturday, Monday night, I get home from cross country practice and uh, there is my grandmother's vehicle on the road in front of my house. There's my grandfather's truck in the driveway. And then parked behind my grandfather's truck is the chief of police. Ooh. And he says, hey, did you have anything to do with like vandalizing this vehicle? And I was like, no. And he was like, then why are your handprints on Melanie Davis's homecoming dress? And I was like, oh, I was out there, but like, I just, I was trying to clean, uh, like I wiped away the flower. I'm a horrible liar. I was doing Coke (laughs) and the Coke residue was on my hands. If we're being honest, me playing fucking patty cake and a pile of cocaine probably would have been easier to explain. (laughs) The last time I saw him was a Christmas. And he knew it was his last. We all knew it was his last. Um, But, you know, where we were at in our age, at least as far as, like, um, me and my sister and my brother were, couldn't fully grasp that concept. So he had us over to his place um, to have Christmas. We all had dinner open presents and stuff, but he wasn't there. Um, He was essentially bedridden for the rest of his life. Um, Albeit a very short um, span. Uh, But the one thing he did, and I'll I'll never forget it, and and this is why I love him, that the one thing he did um, before we came down, he was like, I want you... I want each of the kids to name one present they want. Doesn't matter what it is. Price does not matter. You know, one big item that all the kids want. And I've always kind of been in the mindset of like, I I hate asking for presents. I hate, I hate. Uh, you know, asking for anything big. And if I do ask for something big, I'm going to f- try to look at, like, what's what, what's the best deal? Mm-hmm. I had asked for an Xbox. Um, I believe my sister had asked for a 
a laptop or an iPad or iPod. Um, I can't remember exactly. And my brother had asked for something to which he, he got us all those gifts. Yeah. And the end, the end of that day when we were all getting ready to leave, we went up to his room and he he wasn't looking good. He's very thin. Uh, he's wasting away. And he still kept his humor because we we thanked him for, for having us over. We thanked him for um you know, for for the gifts and the Christmas and stuff, and we're like, we're really glad we got to spend Christmas with them. And his, his response, and it blows me away. It, it, his response was, "Yeah, you you guys just wanted the presents. It's okay." <laughs> <laughs> so, the fact that he was still able to keep that humor. In you know, in the final days was something that I I don't think I'll ever be able to forget because I mean that was that was huge. I've seen so many people say that this is the best ad video game adaptation ever made. Is because this wasn't some property that was just licensed off to HBO to be made. Yeah. This was done. With the guy who created it, yep, having full like involvement with it, and I think to HBO's credit, I think that's why the well, at least the first few seasons of Game of Thrones was so good, is because you had George R. R. Martin on hand to be like, "This is this is the world, this is the world," yeah, um, and that's that's the biggest thing when you're trying to do adaptations is like, sure, you can. That's what okay, so like the the opposite way. Mm-hmm. There's a Harry Potter video game, open world Harry Potter video game is coming out. Oh, I can't wait. I know. Oh, it's so and like the biggest thing that I've heard from the developers is like when you watch those movies or you read those novels, like the wizarding world is the most important thing. And like we want to engulf you in this world. Yeah, you get to do spells and shit like that, but you really need to feel like you're part of that Ariel, <laughs> Little Mermaid, part of that world. <laughs> you really need to feel like you're in that environment and you're in that world. And like sure. every demo, every gameplay video that I've seen of that game coming out next month. Yeah, um, uh, February tenth. Yeah, like it looks like like everything that you would want to do. Like you want to fucking play Quidditch and you want to do spells and you want to ride brooms oh, and like fuck it yeah. looks, dude. Uh, if I can just play Quidditch, so absolutely. good. Like, everything about it looks great. But but like that's the thing. Like the world has to, you has to feel like you're in that world. Like for 85 minutes last Sunday, I felt like I was in a post-apocalyptic, like I was so excited. Cause like, that's my favorite video game of all time. And I was like, okay, like everything that I wanted to see is, is there like the, all the characters and like, are all of them do they like, all look exactly like, no, like the Sarah in the game doesn't look anything like the Sarah. Like, I don't give a shit about that. Like, 
She has the same personality. Personality. Yeah. Like I still, what happens at the end of the episode, not even at the end of the episode, what happens like halfway, halfway. through the episode, um, like I, I, I felt the same emotion I felt when I was in the, when I was playing the game. It was a gift to Caden, mm-hmm. but in a sort of way, it was a gift to my mom as well. Mm-hmm. So I went online and I, I found something on eBay. Now, I when I was a baby, I had a little accordion rabbit. You pull it, it plays a song, mm-hmm. and um, it played Peter Cottontail. This thing's been through a lot. So I had that, and... The idea was to, you know, pass it on to the baby and mm-hmm. whatnot. And when I got online, I found, and this is hard to find, I found the exact same kind in, like, brand new condition. Mm-hmm. Um, sealed in a bag and everything. Like, 40-something bucks. It was not cheap. Right. This thing was made in, uh, this whole line or whatever was made in 1986. I was born in 1989. Mm-hmm. So my mom opens the box and she sees mine and, she's, and she starts crying because it's my mom. And uh, under, we had like a burp rag. Oh. How dare you. You've done it too, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, so we've had this burp rag. And it was the same thing when. <laughs> Heather announced that we were having her. Um, under the burp rag was the new one. And I don't know. It was just a cool moment. Yeah, it, it's, that's awesome. Yeah. The fact that there was a fluctuation in listeners kind of attributed to the burnout. Like you felt a little like, bit. Yeah. Like you felt like. Oh, well, because it's not this good, what's the fucking point? Well, the the saving grace for me anyway is that you and I don't live together mm-hmm. anymore and I don't live in Des Moines. So I can't I can't just like jump in my car, drive 2 minutes and see you or better yet, walk from my bedroom down the hallway to your <laughs> bedroom and see you. I I have to make a conscious effort to come and hang out with you. That's the saving grace of this podcast because yeah. I don't see you in person typically unless we're recording this podcast. So it's really an opportunity for us to sit down every two weeks for two hours, two and a half hours and talk to each other. Uh, And so I would be, I would be producing this podcast no matter what, because it gives me an opportunity to hang out with my best friend. Um, But at the same time, there was that back in December when we, we ended and then I got a little bit of free time and I was like, wow, this feels great. this feels great to like actually sit down and relax and not worry about a podcast 24 7 and then then you look at your you and i'm not i'm not trying to play the blame game and i'm not like no. i don't want it to be a pity party for the listeners and be like oh well you know i just got taught you know i got busy and i couldn't listen to the podcast i don't want it to right. be like that at all yeah, yeah but now that i do two podcasts i go home and I, I record, I rec- I'm here for probably six hours every two weeks and then I go home and then I, I probably put two, two and a half, three hours into every episode editing it and then the promotion and making graphics and stuff like that. So like, again, much like Efed, it's a lot of my free time. 
And then you look at it and it's like, we only had like 10, 15 listeners today. And it's like, there was a little bit of me and it still is. And I'm going to have to get over it. But there's still a little bit of me that's like, I put everything I have into recording, why are you producing, not and then promoting this. And like, we're only getting 30 listeners this week or, you know, 40 listeners this week. It's like, what, what can I be doing? What's it going to take for people to like buy in to all of this hard work that we're putting into it? <laughs>